pretty likely where the, uh, about the area these wise men also came from, in the kingdom of Babylon, in Persia, where someone who was already a devout follower of God got elevated to the position of wise man. And that was a, the man by the name of Daniel. A wonderful prophet. He and his friends uh, that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all were uh, promoted by King Nebuchadnezzar. And then especially Daniel, through the different kings that Babylon and then Persia would have, he became known as a wise man. And Daniel, though he was a magi, a consultant, a wise man to these uh, wicked kings, we know that he stayed uh, fervent in his devotion to God. And he told these kings, and even got some of these kings, to worship God, even if that didn't necessarily stick. And so it's very likely that Daniel, with his other wise men, would have been teaching these prophecies and these truths of the Old Testament Scriptures to these other wise men. See, these magi, what, what they loved to do was to gain knowledge. They did everything they could to learn about different religions, different prophecies. They would study the stars. They would study the night sky and they would chart them out, all to make different prophecies make sense. And Daniel would have passed down the prophecies of the Messiah. So the picture I want you to get here, what I want us to imagine in our minds, is what these wise men must have been expecting when they came to Jerusalem. See, these wise men were coming, and we know what their hearts were ready for because of what they said when they got there. These wise men had studied the prophecies, and they knew of the prophecies of the Messiah. And this wasn't little minor prophecy. This was a big deal. If the prophecy of the Jewish Messiah was true, it would forever change the course of history, as it did. But especially the way that most people in that time expected it. They were expecting this Messiah, to come and be a new military leader, the king of kings on earth. He would overthrow Rome. Israel would rise to the forefront, and he would change the world forever. And the Jews should be excited. And so here come these three, well, we say three. It was most likely not just three. But here come these wise men from the east, and they know these promises. And can you imagine what they expect to find as they enter Jerusalem? the city that has the temple of God. They're probably expecting the biggest party the world has ever seen. They're expecting the Jewish people to be celebrating because their king had been born. Sure, they didn't like their current king, Herod. No one really did, except for Herod. He liked himself a lot. But here we are, the Jewish people, their Messiah, the promised one has been born. There should be, the street should be lined with partiers and celebrations and, and praises and worship to God. And the wise men show up with their gifts, ready to worship is what they told Herod. And what do they find? Quiet. They find a king who's mad to hear about this because he doesn't want to give up his throne. And he finds a bunch of people in their homes afraid to say anything, even if they do know the prophecies because of that king. They find nothing, so much so that they get to the king who should also be excited, and he doesn't even know the prophecies himself. They say, hey, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And Herod says, that's a great question. <laughs> Let me ask my scribes. Let me ask my priests. And they come and have to tell him 
where the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And so, how can we be like these wise men this Christmas? Because I think it's way too often that Christians, especially here in America at Christmas time, are more like Israel in this story than we are these foreigners. These, th- these I keep saying three. It wasn't three. The wise men, however many there were. The wise men, we want to be like them. So first off, what caused these wise men to make such a journey? Well, as I said, and this is going to really factor in at the end of this, but they understood and believed the Bible's prophecies. No matter how they got them, whether they really were passed down through the generations by Daniel, or if they, like many other magi in the time, just studied a lot of prophecies, they knew them. And they understood them, and then when they saw the signs, they believed them. They even knew the, the quote from, um, they knew about the prophecy from Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, that is quoted about where it would be in Numbers, or that he would be born in Bethlehem. They knew the, the prophecy of the star from Numbers twenty four seventeen that says a star would come from Jacob and a scepter would rise out of Israel. They knew these, but they didn't just let that knowledge sit. Because if we're honest, we have a lot of knowledge today, don't we? We can Google whatever we want, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. That helped me this morning in my quick preparations. That's a wonderful thing. But as I've learned from teaching middle schoolers especially, I've laughed about this with Jessica a few times this week. I've had middle schoolers writing a research paper for me at Anderson Christian School this week. And even though they have more access to technology than any of us ever had in school, they don't know how to use it. I told them to research a certain topic, and all, all three of my classes had multiple students come to me and say, how do we look this up? Well, you have Chromebooks that run through Google. Okay, then what? <laughs> you Google it, <laughs> right? We have access to technology, to all of this knowledge, which is a good thing, but we don't actually do anything with that knowledge, and we don't love that knowledge anymore. I've seen that so much in our current generations. There's no more love of knowledge. There's no more like a, a love and adoration for that. See, these wise men are wise in the same way that the book of Proverbs teaches us about what wisdom truly is. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. See, these magi, these wise men, might have lived far off in another eastern country, but they had a fear of the Lord. Not an afraid kind of fear, a respect for what this God truly meant for humanity. And for what this prophecy of a Messiah, of a Savior, meant for humanity. They were awaiting the fulfillment of the promises made in Scripture. They had built their knowledge of the holy, and they were ready to worship when the time came. But then they got there, and Herod and Israel were not. There was no true fear of the Lord among the Lord's people. These outsiders show up expecting celebration, and instead they find nothing. The only thing Herod feared was losing his throne, and the people only feared Herod. It seems that they had forgotten the promises God had made them and had taken their focus off of God. So church, I pray that we don't do the same. 
I pray that we would be like the wise men and look expectantly for the fulfillment of the promises that Jesus has made to us. Is that what we do as Christians today? Not just at Christmas time, because Christmas time we're looking back in the past, right? We look at what Jesus did when he came to earth as a baby to be that incarnation, the God man, God in flesh, here to die for us. But we don't just have things to look back on. We have promises that we should be excited about and worship our King for today. I could spend three hours going through the many different promises the Bible makes for us, but let me just give us three this morning that the Bible gives us that we have the hope and expectation to worship God for today. When Jesus was here on earth, he promised to us the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verses 16 through 7, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Spirit of truth, for he lives with you and will be in you. Aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit today? Aren't you glad that we don't even have to wait for that anymore? And the Holy Spirit is such a big deal that Jesus told his apostles, it's better for you that I go away so that the Holy Spirit... I know that we can pray for the people in our church who are sick this morning because we have a Holy Spirit that will go and comfort them. I know that we can pray for those who are shut-ins and homebounds today because they can be lifted up and encouraged by that encourager, by that Holy Spirit today. And whatever we're facing, whatever struggles we're going through, when I am suddenly given a sermon that I need to preach this morning, I know that I don't have to rely on Jordan's strength. I can rely on the strength of the Almighty everlasting God through His Spirit who dwells in me. And so can you, church. That's a wonderful promise that Jesus has given us. Do we celebrate that? Do we even talk about it? There's a wonderful book that I'd read a number of years ago by a pastor named Francis Chan called The Forgotten God. And he talks about in that that when it comes to the Godhead, the Trinity, everyone talks about the Father and the Son. And then every now and then we're like, oh yeah, there's a Spirit. Don't forget that promise that the fullness of God dwells within you. It's a wonderful promise that he gives us. But then we do have those future promises. Jesus promised a place for us. In John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Church, aren't you glad for the promise that one day we will be with Jesus? And it doesn't just stop there, because what's that going to look like? We don't even, even need anything else, right? If it was just be with Jesus, that's all I need. If I could just sit at the feet of my Savior for all of eternity, that sounds good to me. But we get more promises. Look at the ultimate promise, that final one we get in the final book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 21, the eternity that we're promised with Him. Listen to this promise. This is the hope that we have that's coming for us, church. It says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Don't we need that promise today? Those are the promises we have, church. And we shout amen here. But don't let the words hit our ceiling and stop. 
Don't let it just be lip service. May we be like these wise men that are so excited for this that they're willing to leave their home, come to Israel, come all the way and make this journey just to worship this king. So what are we believing in this Christmas? Is all of our attention focused on the things of the world or are we actually looking to Jesus and trusting in and hoping in these promises that we read in the Bible? We should be the most excited people on the planet, right? And I often wonder, though, what it would be like if we had a Christian come from a part of the world where Christianity is illegal. Where every time they have to meet for church, it must be underground. Where they have to hide, not because they're ashamed, but because they will be arrested and or killed if they are seen publicly gathering and worshiping Jesus. Can you imagine what they might be expecting at Christmas time if they were able to come here and come to one of our churches here in America, especially here in the Bible Belt, right? They're like, oh, there's even a, that has Bible in the title. This is going to be great. What do you think they're going to imagine? They're going to show up expecting people going nuts for the Savior, They're going to expect the crazy people that we see at sporting events or concerts. They're going to expect to see what the wise men expected in Jerusalem. The streets lined with people shouting praise to the Lord. Our Messiah has come. But what do we see? Way too often we see churches that sit here and we're just so content to sit and quietly, yep, the Bible's true. I do love Jesus. I'm going to go to work now. Whatever it is. And they get here and they see what the wise men found in Jerusalem. Quiet and fear. And I pray that wouldn't be us this Christmas, church. I pray that we would let the excitement of what the Christmas season actually means overflow from our hearts. I, I, hopefully I, I show this in my own life. Not just a, this isn't about a Jordan thing. I just don't know how else to exist. We should be fun. We should be excited. We should be overflowing with joy so that when people see us, especially this time of year, they don't even have to question who we worship. They know. They don't have to question, I wonder if they go to church. No, they know because we already invited them to George's Creek or wherever we go to church. That they know that we're excited about the birth of our Savior. And that that Savior didn't just come to be born and live on earth, but that He came to die to take the place of us, to take our sins away from us on the cross, and then to give us that promise of eternal life and forgiveness in Him through rising back from the dead. If you believe that this morning, I pray that we would never be able to shut up about it. And that the world would truly never be the same because of what we say and do for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this.